Welcome to season two of the Awesome Women podcast. In season one, we took a wide focus on women in all areas of the community, construction, automotive, mining, healthcare, farming, hospitality, and many more. Season two will be no different. In fact, we have a fabulous lineup of women, all with amazing stories to share with you. Season two, however, has a small difference as we will also be speaking to awesome men. For many of us, we have had male mentors who have provided a guiding hand throughout our careers. They too have inspiring stories and we will be sharing them with you. I, Amanda Bulo, Awesome Women in Construction founder, have enjoyed recording these podcasts. It's now over to you to enjoy these at a time that suits you. Thank you for listening to the Awesome Women podcast series. Hi, everybody. Well, it's time for another Awesome Women podcast. And today we have Carrie Sutton joining us. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Amanda. Okay, now Carrie is an educator, speaker and author who has helped over 25,000 children, parents and educators with evidence-based strategies, tools and approaches to foster children's emotional well-being and positive mental health. She deconstructs the research so you don't have to and provides practical, easy to use tools and strategies that plant the seeds of resilience and emotional well-being in our children. Sounds great, Carrie. Well, thank you, Amanda. That's, I guess, after working with that many kids and families, it really is one of my passions. Uh, and I know passion is an overused word these days, but I look at what's going on for our kids now. And I know that they're going to be the future parents. They're the future generation. So we actually have to be really mindful of what we're doing as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, godparents, and what are we putting into their limbic systems? And what do I mean by that? I mean, is that what they live and experience gets put back into their limbic system, which is their automatic way of behaving. So if we're displaying certain behaviors or how we manage emotions and how we do things, that actually rubs off on them. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they mimic what they see, don't they? Yeah, and I think that's, I guess, being a guidance officer and a teacher and all those sorts of other things, what I've really noticed is that most probably for the past 10 to 15 years, we've actually seen an increase in anxiety, mental health problems, self-harm, depression, and the ages are getting younger and younger. So I've had little people who are nine talking about self-harm and possibly I don't want to live like this anymore. And then even younger than that, who are so anxious that they'll actually bite their nails till they bleed. And so it's a real a bugbear of mine is what's going on why is this occurring what's happening and how can we stop it how can we put a uh it's instead of and I don't know if you remember the story but there was a story when I was little about putting your finger in the hole in a damn wall and stopping we actually want to seal that crack so we don't we don't want the water to keep trickling out of course there's going to be anxiety we all get anxious at different times but biting your nail or biting your nails to the point of bleeding that's a real problem so is it something where we a need to identify when something has changed in our children and then all nieces and nephews or and then how do we have the conversation so that we can find out what it is that's you know making them feel this way and that's a really good question. And I like the two parts. I, one of the things we do look at, and I always look at is 
behavior is a form of communication. So if something has changed and you will know your little people best and your tweens, your teens, you will know that something's going on. It may be a comment. It could be that they've lost interest in a favorite activity. It could be that then their eating patterns have changed. Their sleeping patterns may have changed. They don't want to talk about things, whereas they were a little more open before. So it really is picking up clues and then realizing, you know, going straight in at something and asking questions, they often, whoa, and they back back and it, well, it won't actually end up well. And it's like us as adults, if somebody came at us all guns blazing, what's wrong? Oh, no, yeah, no, I'm not going to talk about that. And so it's actually making that time and being able to be with them and say, hey, look, I've noticed this what's can you tell me about what's happening or if they're more snappy and let me tell you we are all more snappy for the past 18 months we have lived in situations that and I know this is said on many occasions in many it is unprecedented Mm. we're living in something at the moment that the world doesn't really know how to deal with because it's going up and down with COVID there's snap lockdowns there's all sorts of other things there's been a high level of anxiety and particularly for adults as well, because we've been dealing with it. We've been dealing with, it's almost like we're dealing with an unknown monster that um, like, and I do apologize. I haven't seen the movie. I'm not good with horror movies, but the one where they can't talk, it's called quite, um, John Krasinski was in it with his wife, Emily Blunt, and you couldn't talk because the monsters could see you, but we can't see the monsters. And COVID to a certain degree has actually been like that in that we couldn't see at the beginning, we didn't know where it was, we didn't know what it would do, mm-hmm. and we didn't, we couldn't actually see it, which creates an incredible amount of anxiety and tension and uncertainty. And then we got locked down, jobs got replaced, money was lost, all of these sorts of things, which has created enormous stress and anxiety for us as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, godparents. And what that's doing is actually feeding into the children. So what I've often said to families is, look, one of the things, a really good thing to do is check yourself as well. So if you're, and it's sometimes stress o'clock, it may be that 7am in the morning, yep, everybody's got to be out the door, you're going to be kids are going, and you're driven bananas and you've really got to go, okay, what's happening they're a bit more anxious or they don't want to do something or, or you've seen a change in behavior. They're more snappy. We're most probably more snappy, particularly if we're tired or those sorts of things. And then it's going, how do we work with that? And one is actually going, what's going on for us as adults, being really aware of that. And then also saying, hey, I noticed this. As I said before to you, just it, it's, look, I noticed that this is going on. Can you tell me more about that? So open-ended questions not prime, developmentally appropriate. So this may be for a tween or a teen, a little person It may be, oh, you look really cranky today. I can see by your face that you're not so happy. Is something bothering you? Um, it could be tears because sometimes our children don't want to tell us that there's something wrong yeah. and they don't want us to worry because they know at the moment we've got money worries or we've got other stresses or the business is indeed like dire stress. There could be other things that they're very aware of. And children will pick up on their loved one's anxiety and they don't want to add to that. So they don't want it to be a pile on. And if they think that their worries would add to yours, they may be loath to tell us. So just really open what's happening. 
look, I know you may have seen this going on in the family. And yeah, it is, money is tight, but it's going to be okay. I'm here for you and I want to talk to you at the moment. So it may be, and, I, and I'm looking for, it may be that we put these down and say, you know what, I've turned this onto airplane mode and put it to the side. It is your time with me now. Look them in the eyes and say, I'm here. I'm willing to talk. Sometimes, and I know with Mitchell, when he was growing up, I'd sit back to back with him or we'd talk driving in the car because yeah. that way you don't actually have to look at the teenager sitting next to you and they don't really want to make eye contact yeah. at times. And so it's actually going, hey, what's going on? And it's open-ended questions because, and you will get a lot of mm, mm, or grunts. That's, that's teenagehood. Yeah. However, if you make it, it's almost if you make it a date and say every month we'll catch up or I'm here to listen. I want to keep those lines of communication open because I've noticed that things don't seem to be going so well or that you're more stressed about this or that you're not playing. You don't want to go and play hockey like you used to or you're not doing these things. You haven't gone out as much. It is something going on. And I guess the other thing too is if they don't want to open up then and there, but they come to you in a few hours time or a few days time, when they do come to you, we have to put the phone down. We have to clear everything else that is a distraction and give them the time because otherwise they may not come back. Yeah. And that, that is critical is that you've made that opening. It may not be right then and there. As you said, it could be in two hours time when they've actually had processing time. I've worked with teenagers that need, 40 minutes to process things and that's in a school setting to actually come up with a cogent answer that they're happy with and that's the thing where particularly with emotions because our kids are dealing with big emotions and they feel big yeah. and I know it may not seem big to us but for them it's the world and think back to when you were a teenager the things that were taking over and you just thought were the end of the world and now we look back and go whoa if only we only had those problems but for them, it feels like that's going to be the end of the world if it's not resolved or if these sorts of things don't happen or what, those sorts of things. So when they come to us, that's the time to go, you know what? Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming back. Phone down. Time is yours. I've put work aside. It is now just you and me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's, you know, we need, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have social media like we do now. You know, and that's a whole nother level that I can't relate to. You know, I, I can relate to it in these things are supposed to make our work life easier, but sometimes it, you know, adds another level and another cloud. And I mean, you know, if you, you know, you're eight and you don't have a phone or access to Twitter or whatever, but your school friends do, you know, that's a whole nother level. And there's reasons parents or guardians don't hand that over. But that is another level of not being part of the group that we didn't have when we were growing up. Yeah. And what you've hit on there is we are herd animals. Yeah. We want to be part of the tribe. We want to be part. We will desperately do anything to belong because that's what we feel we need to do to fit in. And I absolutely respect and fully give credit to people who have held off giving kids their phone or accessing Twitter or things like that. Because let me tell you, these devices, if you've seen, and I, again, I do apologise, the social media mm -hmm. 
the movie, um, those people who've designed these things do not let their children on them. Yeah. So when you look at that and go, the people who actually design this, if you look at, uh, so Zuckerberg or all of the designers who did Facebook, mm-hmm. even people on Twitter, Snapchat, they do not allow their children to have unfettered access or if any access to these things because it is one, highly addictive, mm-hmm. two, highly toxic, and three, not socially appropriate. Like these are not appropriate things for children to be looking at and to be because there is a cesspit of things there's also great things so if you look at bluey on youtube or um and those sorts of things so there's lots of other stuff that can be accessed and great resources so i'm not demonizing social media what i am saying though is that it is really really important for us one to hold the line and two to be able to say no actually i'm not going to do that and yes I know it seems like we're the absolute worst in the world, but we're actually giving our kids a way out. I don't know if you've heard, um, Michael Carr Gregg is a child psychologist, child and adolescent psychologist. He worked, he works in Melbourne, still working. And I was presenting with him and most probably over 10 years ago now, because his boys are most in their early twenties, I think. And I said to him, what are you doing? Because this is becoming a problem. He said, Carrie, we don't have these at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So everything goes down. They get put away, never at the dinner table. We always eat dinner together as a family at least three nights a week. So, and hopefully more, but never those at the dinner table. And then at 8.30 at night, everybody's device gets put on a table. Nobody touches them. And he said, what that does is actually make me the bad guy. So when my kids who are teenagers or whatever, and and that's kids won't possibly understand that yet, particularly for tweens, eight, nine and 10, if they've got friends who are on social media, but you can be the bad guy because what that actually does, these things interrupt our children's sleep. If they have them in their rooms and social media pings, those pings have been shown when when it's in the brain and it's a functional MRI, so fMRI looks at what happens when the brain lights up. And when the brain lights up, it's almost as addictive as drugs when we're getting hits or likes or things like that from social media. So you hear it and you go, oh, I've got to respond almost immediately. And that happens all the way through the night. Kids, kids are texting each other and doing whatever else. And what he said was, I don't want my children's sleep disrupted. I want to be the bad guy. They can go to school and say, oh, yeah, my ab- father's an absolute oh, yeah. dragon or my oldie, whatever it is, but that's what I've got to do. So they actually don't have to be the one taking responsibility. And I think that's a really important thing, especially for our tweens and teens. At the moment, if we can help set those boundaries and keep those boundaries firm, that's one of the biggest things we can do to support them because there is just so much desire. That's how they're driven. And unfortunately, um, if we looked at the brain like this, their prefrontal cortex, which is right here, where their emotional regulation and their really good decision-making skills, that doesn't develop, particularly for boys, but that doesn't develop until their mid-20s, like fully develop. So even getting in and driving a car and all those sorts of things can be a problem because they've got to have that ability to emotionally regulate and to set those boundaries and know what's healthy for them. And teenagers and tweens don't have that ability. They just want to be liked. They want to be social. And that's why social media is can, can be so dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Carrie, give us an idea on how you became 
where you are, you know, what was it, you know, that got you into the career that you were in? That drove me there. Um, yeah, I guess my, my father, <laughs> my mum mom and dad were both teachers and I saw that. And so I became a teacher. I didn't really question about what I was going to do because I love kids and yeah. I was an early childhood teacher first. So I worked with little people and I guess then I moved into an area of specialization uh, and working with children who'd been abused. Um, so who had trauma backgrounds. Then I worked with little people or young people who had uh, diverse learning needs and spe some special education needs. And what I really realized was there's a whole range of kids out there and how I think for me, it was about how powerful we are in children's lives and that we don't actually recognize that. And because when I was teaching, if I'd said the sky was purple, some of my children would have actually believed the sky was purple. Like they would go home and say, and parents came and said to me, Carrie, you could tell them that this was happening. They just love you. I can tell them stuff at home yeah. and that doesn't work. But if Miss Sutton says it, that's going to be the bee's knees. And I, yeah. yeah. And I realized, you know, we throw away throw away lines from parents from teachers when we're tired if you ask i often call it the itty bitty shitty committee and it's a little voice that sits on your shoulder and it will be the, and you might have one i know i have one and it talks to me and goes oh, you're not going to be successful at this and it rattles on and unfortunately we actually the verbal garbage that goes on in our heads we have set approximately 70 to 90,000 thoughts per day. And of that amount, around 55 to 60% at least of that is negative. And it's negative things we're saying about ourselves. And where that comes from is often what's said to us in childhood. Yeah. And what I realized was, especially working with little people who'd been abused and other little people who had diverse needs, you know, when children are told these things when they're little, that becomes their self-belief. Yeah. It impacts their self-confidence. It impacts everything else. And from there, I then started in the early 2000s and I was studying positive psychology with Martin Seligman and we did it over long, uh, online because he was in the States. And I realised, you know, I need to help children thrive and how can I do that? If you've read the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, there are people who are thriving. They have high levels of energy. They have high levels of positive mental health and well-being. What did they do that's different? And it's not about being happy all the time. I don't want my children or anybody to be happy all the time. That's actually a disorder. It's called mania. And it's not like a manic and then depressive bipolar thing. And I'm not making fun of that. But what mm -hmm. I, I am just saying, it's not about being happy all the time. What it is, is about having emotional well-being, understanding our emotions, what's going on in here for us, because what's programmed into us as children is what we take with us into adulthood. And so I've seen, and I, I think his name's Frederick Douglass, and he said, it's a lot easier to mend broke, uh, to build healthy children than it is to mend broken men and so I look at it and go let's put more in here with our children our tweens and our teens and not have to be the people at the ambulance at the bottom because I actually felt like I was an ambulance at the bottom of a cliff yeah I don't want to be picking up pieces of kids anymore no. I actually want to build the strong fences at the top of those cliffs and what that is is developing children's resilience developing their emotional well-being giving them the tools and strategies they need yes. 
to tackle shit that they're going to see on this. Yeah. Because I found a lovely lady on Instagram who I didn't realize she was there and I can't, and I really should remember her name more often. But what she does is actually go through and she's not doing anything to herself. She's using filters. She pulls in her face, pulls in her waist, whitens her teeth, does this to her hair. It's all filters. And what it shows is that these things are, they're lying. Yeah. They're actually unrealistic. This is not true. And that's why I was so glad when that Kardashian photo went viral. Mm -hmm. My God, if if they're going to send lawyers after news sites that are doing this, what that actually says is we're peddling lies. It also creates our six and seven and eight-year-olds to have eating disorders. Oh, and that's what worries me is that our kids look at these and go, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like Courtney Kardashian or whichever one of them was and all of them body shape or body sculpt with the um, Photoshop. But what you look at is go, that's actually not a real thing. And that's why I say to kids and particularly the young ladies I work with at schools and different things, private schools, this is not real. look at what she can do with filters and photoshop this is what's happening and you're being compared you're comparing yourself to an unrealistic standard and even as parents or godparents we look at social media and go my lord that's what they did in a day with their family i could never do that and we beat ourselves up yeah i mean amanda i love watching your really real posts about your nieces and what you do because they're real they show the beautiful nails and how they paint your nails sometimes or those (laughs) sorts of things you know what that's real life this is what it looks like yeah and as a village and that's i i really think awesome women in construction you guys support each other as a village and you know that sometimes we're not always going to have things perfect and it's not it's actually about being real because perfect doesn't exist perfect only exists on somebody else's social media feed and exactly right. yeah. yeah you don't even realize it because you look at it and go holy dooly but what happened before was little johnny bit little sarah um but they've now been smile or under threat of death um and everybody's got oh lovely happy photo and then they go back and scream and yell at each other yeah. so it's that sort of stuff and knowing you know what we are all doing the best we can with the knowledge we've got you're not going to hurt your kids. The people who are in awesome women in construction are awesome women. And I'm not trying to blow sunshine up their skirts. It's actually about saying, you know what, if you tune into this stuff, you're aware enough to be putting good stuff into your head and to be really feeding your minds with positivity and positive things. And it's actually going, how can we get that knowledge and understanding and how can we support each other as women? Absolutely. Because not every day is roses and unicorns. No, (laughs) you know, and sometimes you do have to go, you know what, this is just not working for me right now. I'm just going to go and take a couple hours away from everything and turn the phone off and do exactly like you said that we want to teach our children to do. And, you know, it's also, I think, letting our nieces and nephews and, and little people in our lives know that it's it's okay to feel sad or it's okay to not want to, you know, um, play whatever it is today, but that's today, you know, tomorrow is a new day. The sun will come up, you know, it's raining and it's cool at the moment. I'd love to be under the doona watching TV, you know, but it's not what we can do right now, but you've just got to, and I think sometimes if we share that with our little people, they can see that 
you know, it's, and, and that resilience comes through as well. They can see you then, you know, shirk it off or, or get rid of that layer. And the next minute, you know, mum or dad or whoever is back to being mum and dad again. And that you've hit it exactly on the head because, I mean, if they can't see us doing that, so it may be, and, and Mitchell knew I, at different times, I'm going for a job interview. I was excited. I'd be dressed up. Like he'd see me get dressed up in the morning and do different things. And if it didn't go well or I got bad news, I'd say, you know what? I'm really bummed. I had really disappointed. I didn't get a job, but I tried the best I could. Now there's not, uh, that's all I can do. I can't do any better, but you know what? Right now, I don't want to talk about it. I am a bit cross or I'm a bit sad. I'm going to go have a bubble bath or I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go swim or it's showing them healthy ways of coping because, and it's showing, as you said, that they will slow, they can slow down Yeah. because ultimately, and I guess this is what worries me is that if we continue to be those hamsters on the treadmill and that's all they see, that's what we're going to breed. Yeah. And we don't want to do that. Life is not, and I know at times, as exactly as you said, today's rainy and cold and we might like to be doing some other things, but right now we're getting out there and we're hustling and doing different stuff. And But what happens is there has to be time where we slow down and take care of ourselves because if we don't model that, they're never actually going to value it. It's interesting. I um, I follow the Lady Council who are a great group of women on um, Insta. And last night, just before I was doing some scrolling, they had their two uh, two very young little girls. I think it's their two one of their two daughters. And um, they were doing some health care and they said in lockdown, they thought um, and they were putting cucumbers on their eyes and doing things like that. And I, and I wrote back and went, this is great to see because hopefully they will keep these self-care habits and learn them when they're little and take them when to, into them for the rest of their lives. Because as particularly as women, often what we do is put ourselves on the bottom of the list. Like we'll go, oh, yeah, I'll get to that. Oh yeah, if I've got to go to oh, I've got to go to the gym. No, you know what? This has come up. It's really urgent. It's for the family. I've got to do those sorts of things. Actually, there are some things we need to write in red pen. It's our time in our diaries, and they are immovable times. Yep. And that we protect them. And as I say to people, you know what? One day a month, one day, and it could be a weekday, and well, hopefully not a weekday if you've got to be away, but on a Sunday or it's your day. You can stay in your pajamas, but that is your day because as a mum, as a parent, as a godparent, whatever it is, you've got to take care of yourself. Yeah, we've got to take that time out. And, you know, we're all busy. We're all trying to take over the world or whatever it is. And even if it's sometimes you just need that circuit breaker. Sometimes yeah. you need to go and get that favourite tub of ice cream or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm not a marathon runner, so I'll let that to the others. But whatever it is that you need to have that circuit breaker, take it and stop putting off having that circuit breaker. You know, I've learned the hard way. Most of us learn the hard way um, that we, and, and until we have done that, unfortunately, we don't appreciate the value in doing that. And that's why it's so important, as you said before, for us to model it now and to talk to our kids and say, you know what, sometimes we just need to stop. We need to put our phones down. We need to just go and come with me and just walk and talk or understand. But it's good to give your brain. And if you want to talk to them about it, because they'll often put it, say it's actually just giving your brain a break. Yeah. We're taking our brain out of that zone, red zone. We're going to go outside or we're going to do whatever. Or even if we just sit and watch our favourite movie together or whatever on Netflix, yeah. we're just going to give our brains a break. 
because it is that circuit breaker and particularly for them it's so important for them to learn and to take with them into adulthood yeah yeah absolutely now carrie you've written a book tell us about this fabulous book well it's called raising a mentally fit generation uh i have it right there um and so what it is it's uh i basically took my knowledge and uh put it into a chapter it's 10 chapters around 10 chapters about what can you do to help raise mentally and emotionally healthy kids? Mm-hmm. And it's things like brain basics, helping kids understand what their brain does or how it functions, um, looking at how we can help our kids be more optimistic. But it's actually talking about, when I talk about mental fitness, we often think of when we say mental health, it almost immediately goes to mental illness. Like, oh, somebody's got a mental health problem. Actually, let's talk about positive mental health. Well, even then that's putting a spin on it. So I look at it and go, we can keep ourselves physically fit we can keep ourselves mentally fit and emotionally fit. And how we do that is through these things, being grateful, um, being mindful, taking part in mindfulness activities, um, using your strengths. And I know Amanda, and I love, I've watched you at AWIC events when I've been there. One of your strengths is networking and relationship building. And you have tapped into that to grow a business you love. And I guess that's where, when we can use our strengths and so many of the women in Awesome Women in Construction are doing that to help their businesses thrive like they've found strengths that they've tapped into and it's that sort of stuff so how can we tap into our kids strengths how can we help them to be more kind and empathic how can we deal with their emotions or help them deal with really big emotions so it's those sorts of things it's a book you can dip in and out of as I said you can go to a chapter and go look at that and there's different things lots of uh, really tried and tested strategies and activities that I've put in there but yeah it's a way I guess to help people raise a different generation because we don't want them to keep carrying the burdens and the anxiety and the depression and self-harm on into their parenting sounds great fabulous well we will share all of your um website links and everything so people can jump on and grab one of those fabulous books and um, we'll share your linkedin as well in case anybody's got any questions after um, listening to this podcast and uh yeah, in the meantime, we um, wish everybody that's listening a fabulous day. And thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Thank you, Amanda. And as always, uh, have a wonderful rest of the week. And thank you so much to Awesome Women in Construction for having me. My pleasure.